welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that is focused on the work of Star Wars creators both inside and outside the Star Wars galaxy. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week we are going to be uh, giving you a our take on uh, the Lucasfilm production, Red Tails, uh, focused on the Tuskegee Airmen who uh, saw combat in World War II. The tagline for this film when it came out was Courage Has No Color. And it is a film that is um, very much uh, close to Lucas's heart. Um, as we know, he talked about making this film, I believe, all the way back in the 70s or early 80s, if I'm correct. Yeah, well, I, I think if I read somewhere that it was, he was trying as early as 1988, but I think it's quite possible that he was trying even further back than that. I, th- I think it was probably one of those ideas that had been kicking around in his head for a very, very long time. And so we find ourselves, uh, you know, post Star Wars, Lucas looking for, you know, you know, round out finally the uh, the collection of films that he's he's wanted to do for some time. And Red Tails is there. And so the story by Lucas, executive produced by Lucas and uh, Mike, do you, do you want to give sort of a, a rundown of who's in? the? I mean, I, I think honestly, more even more than the, the not more than but almost equal to the subject matter is I mean this cast is crazy insane chock full of big stars like people or people who even if they weren't big stars then are big stars now like household names yeah I mean you've got you know Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Terrence Howard I mean they were probably the two biggest names at the time but also uh, David Oyelowo Callis Callus. Yes, Callus from Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> or and also, also, yeah, he also played Martin Luther King in Selma. I mean, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> Another historical drama. Yes. Um, Andre Royo, lots of people from The Wire, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's got uh, Michael B. Jordan in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, uh, you know, Nate, Nate Parker and, uh, you know, a bunch of other people. Uh, Brian Cranston's in it. Brian Cranston, yeah, he shows up. You know, it, it's it's pretty crazy. You know, it, it is it is a pretty epic cast for sure. And so with this epic cast, they tackle the topic of the the black pilots who were flying in World War II who were frustrated by the fact that racism was in fact keeping them out of the fight. Yeah. And uh so w- you know we find ourselves focused on this squadron and they are desperate to enter into battle. They are desperate to fight for their country to prove that they love their country, to prove that they are just as good as anybody else and that they don't want to be excluded even even in this uh, you know, noble task. And so have you seen Red Tails before this? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I was, you know. Oh, so you actually saw it in the theater. Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, I It was it was one of those things where, um, you know, th- just like Radioland Murders, this was one of the first 
things that I saw, you know, listed in that that one of those early Lucasfilm fan club magazines, and mm-hmm. they were talking about how this was a movie which you know was going to be going into production soon. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty years later, here it is, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. ah, you know, I've been waiting my whole life for this, like literally. So, you know, I I, I definitely you know saw it as soon as I possibly could. Uh, so, what was your impression then, and compare that to your impression now? Um, I, I liked it a lot. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where, <laughs> and I mean, I, I guess we can talk about this a bit more later. Like, tell me if this sounds familiar. Uh, George Lucas said at the time that he had this vision for, for Red Tails. And after sort of breaking the story, he realized that it was too big to fit into one movie. So he decided to split it into three movies. Mm. And he decided that the best way to go about it was to start with part two. And mm. that's what Red Tails is. I, I, I cannot believe, that. like he said that in interviews, right? And I'm like, he's kidding, right? Like he's making a joke, <laughs> like that's a big inside joke for all the Star Wars fans out there who know that that's what he did with the original stuff. Like that's a joke, right? And he's like, no, I'm completely serious. I mean, no, no one asked him if that was a joke. I would have asked him if that was a joke. But he, he, no, he was being completely serious. That was his idea. And I'm like, what are you talking about, George Lucas? You're crazy. You know, is this just your thing? But then you listen to, like, his reasoning and, like, what it is that he, he broke down and what the, the prequel and the sequel, which will never get made, were going to be. Yeah. And it does make perfect sense. You know, what he was saying was like, he wanted to start it off, he wanted to tell the the tale of them as heroes, you know? Mm -hmm. There's been a a lot of stuff written and a lot of stuff produced with uh, the story of how they came to be, you know, how they got into the fight. And while that is a very interesting story and one worth telling, there's also something to be said for showing them you know, and why they are, you know, significant, historically speaking, for their right. actions, not just because they did it, it did a thing, but what it is that they did, you know? Right. And, sure. and, and, you know, I mean, this, like, it really does start, you know, in similar fashion to A New Hope, where it's like, you know, it, you know, throws you into the action. And, you know, this whole thing is very action packed. It was obviously going after a younger audience. He was trying to do kind of like what he did with young Indiana Jones, I think, where he was trying to sort of like get kids to respond to history, you know, and and tell a story in a compelling way for kids. And um, I, I think that he did a really good job with that. I think that was a really interesting and effective approach. And I think it was a unique um, take on the material. And I, you know, after hearing what he had planned for the prequel and the sequel, I am so disappointed that this one did not make money because those would have been awesome as well. Uh, I mean, for, 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 for those people who don't know, I, I don't know if you've heard this or... Not, not no, no, please. Okay. Um, the the prequel was going to be directed by Lee Daniels, who did Precious and and now does Empire and all that stuff. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was going to be about the the origins of the Tuskegee Airmen. You know the the you know right. what, what, what you would kind of expect. The sequel is what I think would have been really interesting. Spike Lee was going to direct that one, and it was going to be about what happened after the war when they came home to a country which 
you know, despite the fact that they were, you know, national Still didn't heroes, treat them with any human respect. With, exactly, you know, yeah. and the, and it would have been about, you know, sort of like their, their fight in, you know, like the civil rights movement. And sure. I think that would have been fascinating. But, you know, I, I mean, the well, reason why it took I, him 20 years to get this thing made is because it's hard to sell a movie like this. And It is, and the thing is, I, I will say that... Uh, this was my first time seeing it. The execution did not... This is one of the movies, and I, I've said this about other other movies. I was rooting for this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the cast, and I, I was like, oh, this has got to be... There's got to... This has got to be good. Like, I, I, I must have been sleeping on this. But if I'm honest, the structure of it is a bit messy, and I can understand why audiences didn't respond to it, because... You know, you giving the backstory there, I suddenly understand, oh, okay, this is the middle part of the story, and if I got the prequel and the sequel, it would have made more sense, but at the same time, I guess this existed in a time before the Connected Universe franchise machine or something? I don't know, because mm. if you give me Captain America, uh, you know, uh, the, the first one, the first Avenger, and my response to it is lukewarm, but you said, but don't worry, this plugs in and it's going to give you Avengers. That's one thing. If you had just released Captain America, the first Avenger, I walk out of it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to see another Captain America movie. This sort of, yeah, okay, yeah. sure. But, and so I think that maybe that, that works against this here is that it, maybe the expectation was that this was going to be its own self-contained thing. Like if I think of it in terms of I would have gotten more story before and after, okay, this works better in my brain, but such as it is, it doesn't, I don't think that it ever gels at any point. I think, I think that the, 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 the fighter sequences are wonderful. They're spectacular. I think that they're well directed. I think that they're well edited. I think that they're gripping. I think that it's when the film really comes alive, but then there are other points when they are not fighting where, it jumps back and forth or a character suddenly makes a leap and suddenly they're talking about, uh, you know, the character's, you know, history or something like that. And it just doesn't, it comes sometimes out of left field and it doesn't feel uh, organic uh, for lack of a better term. And so that for me, the movie comes across very, it, it you know, it hits very flat for me while I'm watching it because I'm enjoying the jet fighter stuff, but well, not jet, you know, the, I'm enjoying the fighter plane stuff, but then it gets to the back on the base and I'm kind of like, eh, can we get back to the planes? Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see that. I mean, speaking to the point that, that you made earlier, you know, if like maybe you would have appreciated it more if you knew that it was part of a trilogy or whatever. I mean, in, in essence, I mean, to, to back up your opinion of the movie, that kind of doesn't matter because as it stands, there is no, you know, part one or part three. Right. All that we have is part two, and that's all that's going to exist. And, you know, that's kind of what you have to base it on, base your opinion on, because that's that's all that we have, you know? I, I mean, just hearing that, though, I wish that, I mean, there could have easily been, I mean, probably not easily, but I would have been so intrigued with the idea of you want to make these three movies and you have three different directors for them, okay, shoot all three of them simultaneously with different production crews. Well, and... the, prob- the problem is the money. You know, I mean, this movie, 
it only costs 58 million bucks, which is cheap, you know, which I guess you can get away with when you own the, the, the visual effects company, you know, whatever. <laughs> you can get a discount when, but when, you, when you own the machine, yes. Still, it only made $48 million, you know. Right. And I remember, like, when it came out, everyone was talking, like, there's no market for this. You know, the studio is like, how how do we promote this to kids? Because kids don't want to see a movie about World War II. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, kids see it. Like, I remember at the time it came out and there was all this stuff about how, like, they were showing it to, like, there was some team that was, like, in the in the, you know, March Madness, you know, uh, NCAA tournament. And like yeah. they, they showed it to them before like one of their, their games or whatever. And it like completely pumped them up, you know, and everything. And they, they, I mean, the, the people who saw it, I think, well, I was going to say the people who saw it loved it. I, I mean, that's the impression that I get. Although you look at like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and it's only got a 41%. I mean, I, it was not a critically acclaimed movie by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I don't really understand that. I mean, like, I don't necessarily agree with your criticisms about it jumping around and stuff like that. I do think that it has a bit of um, prequelitis in some cases in terms of, like, dialogue and uh, the action and stuff. And, you know, I'm willing to forgive that most of the time because the other stuff I think is strong enough. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's weird. It's, it's a weird thing. It's hard to market. And that's why it took so long. I, and I that's why it, they, they couldn't make the other two movies, you know. I find it intriguing that you, you call it prequelitis considering the fact that the script was not done by Lucas. The story was by Lucas, but the script it's, was done by somebody else and it was directed by somebody else. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, I don't know whether, whether it's the dialogue or what. And, and also I'm wondering how much of it was ADR'd because most of these things occurred with people wearing masks while they're, while they're in planes. But there's a lot of okay. like, <laughs> um, look at those pilots over there. Wow, that's amazing. What are they doing now? Oh, let me tell you, because it might not be clear based on what you're seeing on screen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's a you know, lot of that going on. Yeah, and, I, but but the thing is, you're you're talking about the stuff that worked for me, like that. I mean, that was very evocative of the old, you know, World War II fighter ace, I uh, guess, sort of stuff. Like I enjoyed. I, that's the part of the movie I enjoyed. It I mean, was the, the stuff the, the, on the ground where it was like it would it would gear shift suddenly. In the span of one scene, it would be like, I'm talking about the fact that you're an alcoholic and you can't drink when you're going up to fly. Ha ha, me, zany madcap thing just happened too. Now let's go fly and fight. I'm like, what? I don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now. I I guess I didn't really have a problem with that so much. You know, I mean, that that is kind of Lucasy too in terms of, you know, rather choppy, you know, editing, you know, in terms of like, you know cutting out all of the sort of like connective tissue you know you hear stories about like empire strikes back and stuff like that you know what it originally was i mean i can see that too you know you know i i would say that um there 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 is a charm to certain moments of this on the ground uh like the 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 crew that has to repair the planes because that has you know the actor from the wire in it who i adore like mm -hmm. if he he is literally one of those actors where if I see him in a movie, I'm instantly happier because yeah. I think that he is such a great actor. And I, I get I get what you're saying about the connective tissue. I don't see that as I don't see that as much of a problem 
in other Lucasfilm works, um, including the ones that Lucas worked on. I, you know, we, we can go back and forth about that one, you know, uh, till we're blue in the face. But, you know, I, I just I, I honestly think that the the basic problem walking out of this, the very thing that stuck out of my brain was script construction. I thought that it just tried to do too much simultaneously as opposed to apportioning out the dialogue and the like it almost it almost comes across as if they could have cut a character or two from this to give more time to other characters I had to care more about. Yeah. I we we should say I mean since we've been talking about the script and and the editing and everything um the the script was written by uh well, two people. Uh, I mean, I think John Ridley was was the main guy. Uh, he's the guy who won the Oscar for Twelve Years a Slave and has written, you know, things like Three Kings and you know, tons and tons of other movies. He, he created that show, American Crime, uh, and, and all that stuff. And it was uh, co-written. I think probably like. Um, I don't know if it was a polish or because I also know there were a lot of reshoots involved in this movie. But um, the other person who co-wrote the script was Aaron Magruder, the creator of The Boondocks. Seriously? Yes. Which is also really interesting because like Aaron Magruder was exceptionally harsh when it came to his criticism of the prequels. Yes, he was. And, you know, they talked about that because, you know, obviously in interviews and stuff, people brought that up like, so how did that go? You know, did you talk to Lucas about the prequels? And he's like, it didn't come up. You know, we just he didn't he didn't mention it to me. I didn't mention it to him. Got along fine, which to me says a lot about Lucas, because, yeah, you know that he's got to be aware of that because he's he's aware of who Aaron Magruder is. You can't not know. It's I mean, that's in the dude's work. Right. It's not yeah. like he I'm, I'm sure that Lucas is a fan of the boondocks, but it's like Lucas, he can take criticism, extremely harsh criticism and just be like. Whatever. You know what? You're a good writer. I want you to write my movie. Yes. I And I agree with you that that is very much to his credit. I think that he is. I mean, considering the things that were hurled at him during the prequel era, the fact that he speaks to anybody and doesn't, you know, use his massive fortune to um, create killer robots to <laughs> eradicate his enemies, which may or may not be something I would have done with that much. Money. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying for sure. I'm just saying it might have happened. Uh, like that says a lot. I, I basically I'm agreeing with you. It, it says a lot about him that he all he cares about is the talent. Yeah, he doesn't care what you think because you know th- there's also um, I mean very famously like uh, Liam Neeson was extremely harsh of of the prequels himself uh, at a couple of turns and uh, you know that didn't damage anything so far as I know. It's like you know I, actually I, I remember specifically I don't think it was Neeson but somebody asked Lucas at one point about some criticism that an actor he had worked with gave about his work. And he said, yeah, p- person's entitled to their opinion. Okay. Yeah. And he, he was just like, whatever. You know, I, I do my thing, and if they don't like it, that's that's fine. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, so so yeah I mean it, but that that's who that's who is who is writing the script and um it was directed by Anthony Hemingway uh who yes. uh did a lot of work on the wire and and Battlestar Galactica and and everything and um 
you know, it, it, it is interesting that, you know, when it came time to do the reshoots, Hemingway was unavailable um, due to like a scheduling conflict. So Lucas directed the reshoots himself. I um, did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Have they identified which parts of the film he was responsible for directing? Not that I'm aware of. No. I'd be because very curious I, about that. Yeah. But I, I do really feel like it was a case of sort of, I, I, it feels like very much like a sort of a Jedi scenario. Like if you look at the credits involved and everything, I mean, the fact that there were reshoots that Lucas did himself, you know, I think that those were, were you know, brought on by, by Lucas. I mean, you look at the editing team, it's two guys, Michael O'Halloran, who um, is, is an editor who's done a lot of Battlestar Galactica and, you know, worked with Hemingway, I'm, I'm assuming, on, on BSG. You know, mm-hmm. obviously that's a good choice because, you know, dogfights all over that thing, right? Yeah, that's and, true. And then the, the other editor was Ben Burt, who's, you know, obviously Lucas's guy. In-house, you know? yeah. Yeah, but it's it's really interesting. And, and I think that it's also really cool, you know, that, that uh, Lucas sort of made a point of hiring um, as many black crew members as he could. You know, the writers, the director, you know, uh, Terrence right. Blanchard did the music and everything like that. Because, you know, I think he, he went on record saying this, like, you know, you, you obviously need that perspective, you know, in order to tell this story. And Yeah, and, you know, it, it actually, that I mean, that, that reminds me of uh, very interesting because it, it was somewhat controversial, believe it or not, back when Spike Lee... Uh, directed the Malcolm X biopic mm-hmm. that there was originally somebody else a, a, attached to it. I struggle to remember the name. I want to say Norman Jewison, but I don't know for sure. That sounds I, about right. Whether or not but that's he left. True, I totally believe that. Yeah. And and but and one of the things was Spike Lee was in the press saying that a black director should direct this movie in specific because they're bringing a perspective that you know somebody who isn't isn't going to get. And I remember very specifically that was a controversial statement at the time. And I remember when when Lee got questioned about it one time, his response was, I thought, very elegant because he said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said back to the, the person questioning him, do you like The Godfather? And the person was like, yeah, it's a classic. And he's like, do you think that maybe Coppola, being of Italian-American heritage, brought something to that that somebody else might not have? Yeah. And the person thought about it for a second, and they said, well, I guess. And Spike Lee was like, no, you don't guess. That is true. That that Coppola infused it with something that he knew from his own DNA and from stories that he heard from his own parents about how life was for that community back then, that it matters. And so, yes, I think that it it was incredibly wise of Lucas to hire people who would be able to relate not even necessarily by their own direct experiences, although I'm sure that plays into it as well, but the experiences of people before them who could tell them specifically, hey, what was it like, you know, when you were serving back in World War II? And their grandfather could say, oh, geez, yeah, I can tell you all about that. You know, so, yes, I, I think that is an important thing, um, especially considering the fact that I know that at one point when he was making, when he was writing uh, the original Star Wars one of his considerations was to make uh, the the entire hero cast, uh, the the primary leads at least, black. Um, right. uh, yeah, that that was one of the ways he was going to go with the movie. Uh, obviously, it ultimately changed, 
Um, but yeah, he was he was actually going to do that, uh, and that's according to making of Star Wars the the Rinsler uh, book that came out a couple of years back, or yeah, probably uh, more than a couple at this point. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you that that it does make sense for this movie to definitely, you know, have that perspective, you know, and and I think that it it probably adds a lot to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. It's 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 weird that that there was such I mean I know that you weren't a big fan you know I wasn't but uh, to me it's really weird that there was such harsh criticism of this movie I guess I, I mean, yeah and, I, I, and, I mean, and it wasn't like people were like burn this movie to the ground you know but those people were like eh it doesn't really work <laughs> you know I mean pretty much the same reaction that you're having and I guess I don't I don't get it you know my my ultimate perspective on it was that it felt like a very truncated tv series like this this would have been an incredible six episode micro series on television Mm -hmm. like seriously if this had been expanded out and it was a six episode hbo series or something like that that was like an hour and 10 minutes per episode it would have been mind-blowingly amazingly wonderfully awesome but i think that keeping it contained into you know the the two hour multiplex format, I think is what ultimately hurts it. I wonder if that might have been the way to go, and if maybe if they would have brought it to someone like HBO, if HBO would have been like, yeah, let's do it, you know, the new TV series mm-hmm. you know, by executive producer George, George Lucas, Lucas, people yeah. would have fallen all over themselves for it. But I think maybe part of the thing that was sort of holding Lucas back, I'm just guessing here, is that he did want it to be sort of like an action epic in a sense. And I think he really wanted that big screen experience, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, I mean the, the, and again, I'll go back to the, the, the fighter scenes were my favorite and I do regret, like I can imagine that on the big screen, these fighter scenes probably played amazing. Yeah, Absolutely cool. amazing. There were, there was some great camera angle and effects work uh, that went into those. And I thought that the editing during those scenes when the, you know the german fighters are coming in and you know attacking the bombers and everything it's incredibly clear what's going on it's mm-hmm. so easy on those big epic you know fighters attacking bombers and fighters chasing the fighters that are attacking the bombers so look at, and it just becomes this big chaotic mess but it stays very close in and you know everything that's going at no point was i lost during those action scenes yeah, I knew yeah. where everything was in relation to everything else. Yeah, they're really well put together. They they were actually reminiscent of of like a lot of the stuff that you see in Star Wars, you know, especially mm-hmm. the prequels. Um, even kind of like the the look and the texture of the the, the effects and everything, and and sure. I kind of like that, you know. It it was cool, and and I also really loved the music. You know, I mean, you have a yeah, certain, the score's good. You, yeah. you, I don't know, like you know, Terrence Blanchard. You expect a certain you know thing. I guess I, you know, he, he having done like the music for like basically all of Spike Lee's movies and stuff like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. and what we got was like something so different and kind of like modern and and you know it it was it was a really cool weird juxtaposition with the time period and everything, mm-hmm. and I think it was like really effective. You know, I, I agree. Liked, I liked it a lot. So yeah, I, props to the score. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay, I I mean I guess I guess we're kind of we're we're not really split. You you enjoy the film and so you would very much recommend it to somebody. And I would say that while I wasn't nuts about it, I wouldn't push somebody away from it. Somebody might have a more positive reaction than I did uh overall, but you know, I I mean at the very least, 
if you're going to rent this, you know, and, and this is so reductive, but at the very least, the 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 fighter scenes are amazing and worth watching. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's worth an evening of your time in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I thought it was very entertaining, but then also uh, very informative, you know, and I think that it is kind of cool how it sort of takes a look at these people as opposed to, you know, sort of like the story of like how they came to be as, as a group mm-hmm. and everything like that. It was, you know, more about them as individuals um, as soldiers, you know, really, you know, as, as, uh, as, as fighter pilots. And that, that I think was really cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you everybody for, uh, taking this journey with us as we looked at red tails, uh, from Lucasfilm. Uh, we very much appreciate your time here. And, uh, if you want to interact with the show, you can go ahead and you can reach out to us at, uh, the slash contact. Look up great shot kid. You can send us an email through that page. Uh, you can, of course, reach out to us over on the Nerd Party Facebook page at facebook.com slash the nerd party. And you can uh, go ahead and if you like what you're hearing, go on over to iTunes and let the world know because it helps other people find this show. And so you can go over to iTunes, look up Great Shot Kid and uh, drop off your review. What do you think of the show? Let us know. And uh, so that's where they can reach us on all of the official channels. And uh, Mike, where can they reach you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, or you can find me on TalkFilmSociety.com, where I do a show called Soderbergh2828, where we look at all of Steven Soderbergh's movies. And you can also find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do a show called Commentary Trackstars. And uh, you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called Stage 9, where we look at the creators of... Star Trek with John. Oh, yes, with me, with me. And uh, actually, uh, just this week, we looked at Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. What did we think? Listen to Stage 9 to find out. You can also find me here on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds, a freeform podcast with my pal Craig. And if you look for Kessel Junkie, if you... If you go out and it's really quiet and you don't scare him into his little hutch, you might see Kessel Junkie running around somewhere out there on the internet. So thank you for joining us with uh, Red Tails. Come back next week and join us for a look at uh, the work of the future young Han Solo, uh, Alden Ehrenreich, in Hail Caesar. <laughs>